In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Am I above reproach? Am I unrebukable, irreprehensible? Is there anything in my life where somebody could reach out and just with a shoestring, pull me down? It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Equipping Men in 10, where we are covering my new book that will be released in January called The Full Capacity Man. This is uh, actually the second in our series of 21 podcast episodes. The first episode was actually introduction. Then we're going to cover these 20 qualifications. And I'm here today with my co-host and friend, Dale Colbert. How you doing, man? Doing so good. Good to hear. Do you have a man law for us today? I do. Um, I'm just thinking about the the pandemic and how a lot of people lost their jobs. And I want to say that um, to help a guy out the most is when you are working in a, the workplace, if you were to, to work in such a way that nobody could put blame on you or uh, call you lazy or whatever, you probably have a better chance of keeping your job. And uh, reminded me of when I was working for you at a different location and one of my job description, or not job description, qualifications or things that you put in there that I had to live by was to live in such a way that I was blameless. And so I think that is so key, and I think you're going to talk about that today. Um, but Coincidentally. It's weird. But <laughs> how important this is that you know your other coworkers, they can... They could try to come up with something, but they'll never be able to make it stick because you live in such a way that that people will see you. They know it's a lie. They know you're a hard worker. You're honest and, and all that, and they can count on you. Yeah, that you kind of rustled through that one there a little bit today, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think another thing there is a lot of employers right now are having a hard time finding workers. Oh, gosh. And the reason why is people are living on these... Uh, and unemployment checks and don't want to go back because they're making more money on unemployment. And I think, wow, that's really blameless. Yeah. That's a real blameless life. Yeah. You know, you here's the thing, man. There's a situation that you're kind of involved with right now that, uh, you, you know, there was a, a particular human, that, a particular guy that said a lot of things, but everything he said didn't match what he did. 
And so a blameless life is a life that does what it says yeah. and says what it does. Mm-hmm. And so chapter one is just simply titled Blameless, Live Above Reproach. So chapter one is, is one bookend of this book. The last chapter of the book is on wisdom, making decisions against yourself. Mm-hmm. So those two things bookend the other 18 chapters. Does that make sense? Yeah. But the most important, I can't stress this enough, the most important chapter of the book is chapter one, simply because to be a blameless man, to be a man who is above reproach, that kind of man, that overarches all of the other categories. If you do not have that one thing, Everything else is hindered. First Timothy chapter three, verse two says an overseer must be above reproach. Mm. In the New King James Version, the word is blameless. Billy Graham wrote this. He said, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, everything is lost. Yeah. In, in the book, I tell a story of two kids, adults. They went back to clean up their parents' home. Their parents had passed away. These uh, particular adults lived in England. So they're in England cleaning out their parents' home, and they go into the attic, and they're cleaning out the attic. It's the last room less. It's You know you know how people throw all their... Gar- the attic is usually this you know Christmas decor and just stuff that you'll never use. Well, and these parents had never used them. They, they died with all the stuff in the attic. So these kids went upstairs and they started pulling things out of the attic and they brought an, an antique appraiser in just to appraise all the stuff because they didn't want to haul something away that was worth value. And out of all of the things, they found one item of value. It was a 16-inch yellow vase that was shaped like a genie bottle, you know, like a genie bottle kind of. And it looked just like a genie bottle, only it was yellow. And uh, they never they never saw the genie, but they had a wish granted, and here's the wish. This vase found in this attic of these parents who were dead dated back to the 1700s during the reign of Chinese emperor Queen Long, who reigned in China from 1735 to 1799 uh, at the height of what we call the Qing, Q-I-N-G dynasty. This vase... <laughs> Went to auction, it got caught in a bidding war and sold for $70 million. Dude. After taxes, it went for almost $86 million. Wow. So here, here's the key thing. Would you ever take that vase and put it in the hands of Jim Ramos? Yes. You would? Yeah. Well. Now think if, that through. If would I you ever it, let me touch that vase? If I had it wrapped in a whole bunch of bubble wrap. Why? Why would you do that? Because you have a tendency to drop things. I'm a little clumsy. I am a breaker. So, but that vase, you know, if you hold this vase that's going to Goodwill and it's going to be a dollar item at Goodwill, no problem. But when you put value on this vase, the value of $86 million you want to be very careful Mm -hmm. that whoever handles it, handles it with the utmost care. When we talk about your reputation, we talk about being blameless, we need to handle this in our lives as the most precious, priceless thing that we can ever have. So this is interesting. There's a Bible a Bible translation that goes back to 1582. It's the Dewey Rames Bible version. And they translate 1 Timothy chapter 3 
verse 2, instead of the word blameless, they use the word irreprehensible. Another Bible translation uses the word unrebukable. Mm. I love that. Unrebukable. There is nothing in my life that you can rebuke me for. I am completely blameless. I am above reproach. I think that is so, so powerful. And it is literally, you know, the top of the line, right? So we live, we live about an hour south of Portland, Oregon. Now, Portland, Oregon has a lot of nicknames. One of those nicknames is the City of Bridges. We have 14, I think, major bridges. So if I were in a fishing boat on the Willamette River underneath, let's say, the Burnside Bridge, and I had 19 other boats fishing salmon around me, mm-hmm. okay, the bridge over us, the Burnside Bridge, that would be like blamelessness. That is the overarching bridge over all of the other 19 boats underneath. That is how powerful blamelessness is. A man has to live above reproach. You know, I got to tell you a funny story. So when I graduated high school, I was 225 pounds. My little brother was 125 pounds. In fact, they called him the stick man. They used to tease him that if he didn't wear cleats, he'd slip through the cracks of the cement. <laughs> and so uh, my brother, you know, I played a lot of football in high school and college, but one game I remember was a game I never played in. It was my brother played. It was his senior year. I was playing college football, so I wasn't there, but they played this school in the Valley, Taft High School, big farm boys, right? And they had this one big farm boy who was a 220-pound. He was about my size, big, giant running back, and they just crushed uh, Morro Bay High School, which is where my brother and I went to high school. They just crushed, crushed Morro Bay that night. And this kid was just a stud, right? Now, my brother plays cornerback. So if you're a cornerback, those of you who understand football, cornerbacks are made to defend the pass. It doesn't matter. They shouldn't be taking making tackles. They don't need to be great, great tacklers. They're just guys to defend the pass. So if your corner's making a lot of tackles, you're in trouble. Well, Tom made a lot of tackles that night. And Tom got trucked a lot that night. In fact, to this day, his shoulder is injured because of the story I'm going to tell you right now. This 225-pound running back broke free. He was heading in for a touchdown. All he had left between the goal line and the, and you know, all he had left between the him and the goal line was my brother, 125-pounder. And this guy decided instead of juking Tom, making a move, he just would truck him, just run right over the top of him, top of him. and that's what he did. He ran right over the top of my brother. But as he was <laughs> as he was putting his driving his cleat off my brother's chest, going into the end zone, my brother reached up and grabbed the only thing he could, the guy's shoestring, <laughs> and he tackled him. Shoestring, literal shoestring tackle. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2 when we look about this when we look at this word that Paul uses that some people translate as blameless or unrebukable or irreprehensible or above reproach that word in the Greek literally means not to be laid hold of it speaks of the man who has complete integrity, lives above reproach, and doesn't even have a shoestring that somebody can reach up and pull him down. And I'm telling you guys, sometimes that is all that is needed. 
mm-hmm. is a shoestring. Earlier in the podcast, I quoted Billy Graham. In ni- November 3rd of 1948, a monumental event happened in my life. I wasn't born until 1965, but in 1948, on November 3rd, something monumental happened. Now, it wasn't the birth of either of my parents, because my dad was born in 42, my mom in 43. So what do you think happened on November 3rd, 1948? Quiz time. I don't expect you to get this. Good Lord. Or uh, now you're praying, huh? <laughs> you guys came to America? No. <laughs> in, 19, in 1948, on November 3rd, Billy Graham was 31 years old. He was a he had been a full time evangelist with Youth for Christ, which he's the first ever full time Youth for Christ <laughs> staff, which is I was a Youth for Christ guy. He was moving into his crusade ministry. He was in a rock facaded like this rock facade motel in on South Ninth Street in Modesto, California. He said to his team, he goes, guys, let's talk a little bit about the pitfalls that evangelists have been plagued with. He had all of his team, there are, I think, four or five guys. They went into their rooms, and they all came back with a written written on legal pad, all of the potential pitfalls of being evangelists in a ministry God blessed. And at that, at that event, they determined four things that they would never do. It's now famously called the Modesto Manifesto. It is how I've guided my ministry all the 30 years of ministry. And here are, the, here are the four things. We will not criticize, condemn, or speak negatively about other people involved in the same ministry. Number two, we'll be accountable, particularly in handling finances with integrity according to the highest business standards. Number three, we will tell the truth and be thoroughly honest, especially regarding reporting statistics. Well, maybe I didn't do so great in that area. <laughs> Number four, we will be exemplary in morals, clear, clean, and careful to avoid the very appearance of any impropriety. Billy Graham never had meals with women in public. He had huge guardrails, and that really has inspired me to do the same. Because Billy Graham, people can say whatever they want about Billy Graham, but what they can't say about Billy Graham is that he did not live an exemplary life. Mm -hmm. He was impeccable. He was a blameless man. And so the question for us as we look at this first chapter of my book, we have to say, am I completely blameless? Am I above reproach? Am I unrebukable, irreprehensible? Is there anything in my life where somebody could reach out and just with a shoestring pull me down? You know, it's really interesting. Abraham Lincoln was once asked if he had to cut a tree, if he had five hours to cut a tree, what would he do? And he said, I would spend the first four sharpening the axe. Mm -hmm. And that's what this chapter is about. It's about saying, guys, we have to start. Now, realize the first of our five essentials of manhood is protecting integrity. Living above reproach and protecting integrity really are working side by side each other here. This is so important, guys. We have to have integrity even down to the smallest thing. And so, guys, I hope this really helps you. Next week, we're going to talk about word number two. You will not want to miss this. So, Dale, what's up next, man? Drive us home. Yeah, guys, if you haven't done so already, head on over to our website and pick up Jim's newest book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. Also, while you're on the website at menadrena.org, click on Join Our Team and get involved with the virtual team this fall. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. 
You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.